At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference. On Tuesday, voters around the country will be heading to the polls for Election Day. The elections and the issues on the ballots cover a lot of ground. But Hannah Knowles is noticing one big theme. One through line that um, we'll be looking at in all of these elections will be the issue of abortion. Hannah is a campaign reporter for The Post, and she's been looking at one election explicitly about abortion. This ballot measure in Ohio called Issue 1. People will be voting on a measure to actually amend their state constitution um, to guarantee abortion access up to the point of um, fetal viability. So that's similar to what we had under Roe v. Wade. But here's why it's notable that this is happening in Ohio. Their state government is led completely by Republicans. They have a Republican governor, and Republicans control both the Ohio House and the Senate. And Ohio went to Trump in the past two presidential elections. Can you believe we're probably going to have Trump and Biden yeah, again? <laughs> I know. And this time I would vote for Trump. Okay, really? Interesting. Yeah. But for people like Lisa Howard, who Hannah spoke with in the lead up to this election, that doesn't necessarily mean they want to limit abortion rights. How are you going to vote on issue one? I'm going to vote uh, for it because I don't want them to have control of, of the government to have control of what women or families have the right to their own their own bodies and their mm-hmm. own things, situations. I just believe that it should be upon the woman and her her own. I mean, she's the one that will have to live with it. You know, I mean, I know people who just had to go and get one. I don't think the government should be able to tell us um, what we, you know, should do with our own bodies. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Allison Michaels. It's Monday, November 6th. Today, we're digging into the elections, putting abortion front and center on Tuesday. Abortion rights are at stake in different ways across the country. There's the election in Ohio, but there's also the governor's race in Kentucky, and control of Virginia's state house is up for grabs. And whether it's a ballot measure or a governor's race, Tuesday's election could show that protecting abortion rights is still the issue driving people to the polls, even in red-leaning states. Let's talk specifically then about Ohio, where voters are actually being asked to make a choice on the ballot related to abortion. Can you tell me what's in issue one, as it's called? They're being asked to vote on whether they want to add a provision in their state constitution that guarantees access to abortion up to the point of fetal viability when a baby can survive outside the womb. Um, the state would be able to restrict abortion in some ways after that, but there are still some you know, exceptions that they would not be able to prohibit. Proponents of this measure have really tried to remind people that, you know, we do have a six-week ban in this state that has been caught up in the courts. It could be reinstated. And so they want people to think of this as potentially a vote on um, a six-week ban down the line. 
And how did Ohio get here to this moment where they're being asked whether they're in favor of establishing the right to abortion in the state constitution? I know this isn't the first election that's been consequential for abortion in Ohio. It's not even the first time the people of Ohio have been asked to vote on something called issue one. So how did we get here? Yeah, so it's sort of confusing because people might think, didn't we already vote on this? Um, But Ohio voted in August on um, another measure that that had implications for this one, and it was about whether we want to make it harder to amend the state constitution. That would have raised the threshold to do that um, by a popular vote of of simple majority to um, a 60% vote. The August special election here in Ohio and on the ballot, hotly debated issue one. A fundamental change to the Ohio Constitution will be on the ballot in a special election coming August 8th. I mean, this is a big deal. We've seen special elections before, but typically it's not for an issue, it's for a candidate. And that would have made it harder to then pass this um, other amendment that would uh, guarantee abortion access. And uh, the voters rejected that pretty clearly. 57 to 43. That was really kind of seen as a, a proxy for this issue, um, but it, you know, it wasn't quite the same directness. Looking at where Ohio is now then faced with this moment of a direct vote on establishing this right to abortion in their constitution, I imagine there must be tons of energy, money, campaigning going toward this effort from, from all sides. What are you seeing? Yeah, so there's been more than $40 million um, in TV advertising and other kind of related expenses on this issue um, so far. I know Ohioans are divided on the issue of abortion, but whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, issue one is just not right for Ohio. Issue one just goes too far. That said, the the supporters of this amendment, the pro-abortion access side, um, has really outraised um, the other side, the opponents. That's in line with what we've seen in other states. After the fall of Roe v. Wade, supporters of abortion access really have the energy on their side. And and you see even in redder states like Ohio, like certainly Kentucky, um, this has suddenly become, you know, politically, I think a lot of people think it's a better issue for Democrats at this point. So what do we expect the outcome of Tuesday's vote to be? I think most people expect this amendment to pass in Ohio because that would repeat what we've seen in state after state post-Roe, where voters are not comfortable with the level of restrictions that um, Republicans have passed um, in a lot of these states. I think six-week bans have gotten um, a a good amount of backlash. Um, We have some states with near-total bans that have gotten a lot of backlash. Um, So I would be surprised if this does not pass, but we'll see. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge that, of course, this election has a meaningful impact on the people of Ohio. But you'll also have to forgive me because I'm going to do the thing that journalists do, which is ask what takeaways we can draw from what the voters do ultimately decide in Ohio. Like, as you continue to report on the political moment in this country on our road to the 2024 presidential election, will Tuesday's election tell us something about what we can expect next November? I think it'll tell us that um, abortion access is still um, a politically motivating issue, a a popular issue with a lot of voters, again, even in those redder states. Um, That's something that, you know, politicians in a lot of places will be looking at um, incorporating into their campaigns, thinking about, you know, how um, is abortion in play in our state, even if it's not um, on the ballot in such a direct way. 
you know, if this amendment loses, it'll also have some lessons for the anti-abortion side in terms of, you know, what messages work or don't work. Um, my colleague Annie Gowan was out um, watching some of like the canvassing and, and campaigning that they were doing. And they really kind of tried to not, they did not sell this as, you know, we want to make sure that we can have a six-week ban in Ohio. They talked about, you know, we want to make sure that we can have, um, you know, what they called reasonable limits on later term abortions, right? They, they really dialed back um, you know, what kinds of uh, restrictions they were, were talking about with people because they know that those um, more stringent measures are really unpopular. And so, you know, I, th- I think that um, this will provide some feedback on that strategy as well. After the break, we'll take you to the other elections around the country where abortion might not be technically on the ballot, but it's still a hugely motivating issue. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we've talked a lot about Ohio, but of course, as you noted, that's not the only state with elections on Tuesday. Kentucky is among the others. Can you tell me what's at stake in regards to abortion in Kentucky, where I know you are at the moment? What's happening there? So we have a governor's race here that's pitting a Democratic incumbent, Andy Bashir against um, the state attorney general, the Republican Daniel Cameron. And um, again, I think a lot of people, if you, if you just heard that um, and you know the political makeup of Kentucky, you'd probably count out Andy Bashir. but he has have a lot of advantages um, going for him. He's an incumbent. He's well-funded. He has a lot of stuff he can point to in like specific infrastructure projects and economic um, things he's gotten done in his term. And he's, he's really kind of tried to mostly focus his message on economic stuff, kitchen table issues, and, and appeal to moderates in that way. $11.2 billion in new investment, 18,000 new jobs. We brought in the biggest economic development investment in our history at $5.8 billion and 5,000 new jobs. We're going to be the... But abortion is like the, I almost said subtext there, but it's more than subtext, right? It's like he doesn't talk about it in his stump speeches, but he doesn't have to because it's on voters' minds. It's something that they've hammered home with people in attack ads against Daniel Cameron. Daniel Cameron thinks a nine-year-old rape survivor should be forced to give birth. Nobody, no child should ever have to go through that. Cameron believes rapists deserve more rights than their victims. 
they see Daniel Cameron as kind of uniquely vulnerable on this issue because he has defended the state's total abortion ban in court. He's really kind of closely associated with it. He's given some sort of mixed answers on um, whether he would support adding exceptions um, to that law for cases of you know rape and incest, for example. And when I was on the trail with him, he he was asked about this. He kind of reiterated if the the Republican-dominated legislature um, signs a bill adding those exceptions, I would sign it. But he's been a bit muddled on this, and, and Democrats have really pounced on that. Can you explain more about how this has played out during the campaign? Like, has it come up in debates or when Bashir is talking with voters? Yeah, it's been a huge topic in the debates. And his campaign has also put a lot of money into ads attacking Cameron on abortion. And voters remember them. They remembered the name of this one particular young woman named Hadley. I was raped by my stepfather after years of sexual abuse. I was 12. Anyone who believes there should be no exceptions for rape and incest could never understand what it's like to stand in my shoes who did this direct camera uh, message in one of Bashir's ads talking about how she was um, sexually assaulted by her stepfather. This is to you, Daniel Cameron. To tell a 12-year-old girl she must have the baby of her stepfather who raped her is unthinkable. I'm speaking out because women and girls need to have options. Daniel Cameron would give us none. She thinks it's so important that that, um, those exceptions are added to the state law. And um, I talked to one kind of older man who usually votes Republican, and he he remembered that ad, and he said I, it was so striking to me that I actually went and I Googled this young woman because I wanted to learn more about her life. Um, and so I think that that has really had an impact, again, even if he's not, um, you know, putting it in every stump speech. And what I thought was really interesting was when I was at this um, University of Louisville, this college campus event that Bashir did, And clearly for a lot of these students, abortion was on their mind. I spoke with Rebecca Flowers. She's a student at the University of Louisville. And when we talked about the governor's race, abortion was one of the first things she brought up. And um, yeah, so do you think you're going to vote in the governor's race? Or maybe you already have. I don't know. Okay. No, I have not already. Um, and are you going to vote for Bashir or Cameron? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you never there's know. No, there's, yeah. okay. there's, there's no doubt about it. So why is there no doubt about it for you? Um, definitely just, like, policy-wise. It's a, his sort of, like, um, the way that he kind of aligns himself in regards to issues like abortion, mm-hmm. um, issues surrounding education, um, jobs, you know what I'm saying? That's really important to me. Um, Some of them have had seen um, Bashir's ads about abortion so much that they thought they were like being targeted by these ads. And then maybe they were, right? Like they're in the demographic where, you know, people feel really passionately about this issue. And um, what was interesting to me was Bashir did not mention um, abortion in his his brief remarks. And to be fair, I mean, th- this was a very quick stop by, you know, it's not like he covered his whole platform, um, but I think that speaks to how... Um, Democrats have tried to thread the needle on this. Yeah, 
which I just, are you surprised that he didn't talk about abortion? I just I'm felt not, like, you know, if you're talking to a college student crowd, right, that it feels like that's, that what, that's what motivates people, you know? And when I think about, I mean, it's like politicians. They're not going to talk about, like, polarizing issues. Mm. They're just going to, you know, have a happy-go-lucky sort of, like, outlook on things, no matter if they're Republican or Democrat. It's just yeah. the way that they sort of operate. I don't think that Bashir um, wants to be branded as, you know, certainly as someone who supports um, abortion in all cases. And he he talks about this when asked. He says, I support um, what he calls reasonable restrictions on abortion um, later in pregnancy. And that's not something that you hear from a, a lot of Democratic candidates. They, they really are hesitant to say anything about limits, I think. And so, uh, you know, he knows he's in a state um, that is much more conservative, um, where there are a lot of voters who feel strongly about this the other way. Um, and so I think he's he's just tried to be careful there. Yeah, wow. So so what will the result of Tuesday's election actually tell us then? How much will this decision ultimately matter for abortion access in Kentucky? Yeah, so that's a good question because uh, the, the state legislature is um, really held by Republicans right now. And I think it's not clear that there would be a ton of movement um, on that issue, um, no matter who's in that uh, governor's seat. Um, and the debate has really been around um, whether to add these exceptions for, for rape and incest to the current law, um, which does ban abortion at, at, at any point in pregnancy. And I think it's, it's tougher to imagine that legislature advancing something that significantly um, rolls back that law. I want to talk to you about one final election uh, that will take place on Tuesday, which is the Virginia election, much closer to home for those of us here in Washington, D.C. What's important to know about what is happening on Tuesday in Virginia? Virginia has um, state legislative elections, and um, Republicans are hoping that they can flip the Democratic-controlled state Senate, and that would allow them to get a lot more of their agenda through. Um, you have Governor Glenn Youngkin there, who was sort of a star in um, 2021, and and he has said he supports um, a 15-week abortion ban. That's why right out of the box, uh, I called for a 15-week pain threshold bill to be uh, formed and crafted by a bipartisan group of legislators. And I think this is what it's all about, is this is a moment um, for our country to have a discussion around this. That is part of his agenda that um, he and, and um, a lot of other Republicans would um, hope to pass if they can get, uh, you know, more of that power at the state level. What do we know about the messaging strategy around that 15-week abortion limit? Yeah, well, so you just hinted at the strategy there and the language you used because they are branding it as a limit. And they think that that is, is more palatable to voters than talking about bans. Their argument is that the vast majority of abortions do occur before 15 weeks. They occur much earlier in pregnancy. And so, um, you know, they say that, you know, we think this is kind of a reasonable limit on the tail end rather than something that, um, you know, really um, puts abortion out of reach to most women. Um, you know, Democrats have pushed back um, very hard on that. I think we, we have seen um, even a 15-week uh, restriction be politically tough for Republicans in other places. And so I, I am really curious to see what happens there. So many of these election results on Tuesday then seem to 
likely hinge on how much voters continue to be mobilized to turn out by the abortion issue. And I think there's been a bit of question for Democrats about whether this issue still carries as much drive for voters as it did in 2022 after the fallout of the Dobbs decision. So what might we learn on Tuesday about how much voters are still really driven to turn out by this abortion issue? Well, yeah, I think we could learn um, how much they are still motivated. I think, like you said, the, the turnout numbers, in addition to just the margins, will be interesting. I remember kind of the first moment um, in 2022 when everyone went, wow, like abortion is maybe even more potent than we thought was when Kansas voted on, um, you know, abortion as it related to their state constitution. This was a massive show of support for abortion rights in a conservative, traditionally red state. Less than six weeks after Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, voters in this state of Kansas sent a clear message that the right to an abortion should be protected. That was just a resounding victory for um, abortion rights supporters. It's a huge victory for Kansas, for women, for reproductive rights in America. You know, people talked about just how many people showed up for that. Um, if we see really high turnout again, that's another um, marker about how people are thinking about this issue. Yeah, I mean, how much are, are Republicans watching this? I know Donald Trump has repeatedly asserted that he thinks abortion is a really, like, the losing issue for Republicans and something they should be careful about heading into 2024. Um, do you expect what happens on Tuesday to be a metric that the GOP kind of takes forward with them? I think so. I mean, I think in particular, um, you know, if there's signs that, you know, this tack they've taken in in sort of politically purple Virginia works, that that could really inform their messaging going forward. Um, that said, I mean, the, the presidential race sort of uh, the candidates approach abortion very differently there, I think, because they, they sort of have this out where they can say, you know, we just think that abortion should be left to the states. Um, we like that Roe v. Wade kicked it back to the state level. And I think there's been a lot of hesitance, even among candidates who've um, supported um, fairly restrictive bans in their own state, Ron DeSantis in Florida, for example. There's been hesitance to um, get behind um, any kind of national restriction and an acknowledgement that that's just um, a, a lot of that is politically not feasible right now um, at the national level. That said, um, Democrats are certainly hoping and, and have already made this um, an issue in the in the presidential races. They do still see this as, you know, an issue where they can argue that to people that Republicans are, are extreme. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll see a lot of ads um, highlighting Republicans' comments on this, um, regardless of what they support at the federal level. All right, Hannah, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much. Hannah Knowles is a campaign reporter for The Post. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Sean Sullivan and Trinity Webster-Bass. If you're already a Washington Post subscriber, you can now get access to Washington Post podcasts ad-free in Apple Podcasts. That means no ads, literally none. And there are more audio perks right around the corner. So connect your Post subscription in Apple Podcasts. And if you're not yet a subscriber to the Washington Post, this is a great time to start. You can get access to all the Post has to offer, like the in-depth political coverage you just heard here, but also our recipes, our style coverage, our games. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts or by following the link in our show notes. 
I'm Allison Michaels. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.